and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. How are you guys doing today? Doing good? Man, that was a pretty weak good morning back. How are you doing today? Good morning. It's good to see you. You guys are looking so good. If I didn't get a chance to greet you this morning, please find me after the service. I see some new faces and love to shake your hand and get to know you a little bit. Um, today we are con- wrapping up this series titled, This is Love. It's our Easter series and how we're learning how the resurrection changed everything. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we know what his death was all about. At the cross, Jesus died in our place for our sins. He entered into our pain, into our shame. He came and took the weight of evil itself so that its power could be broken. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. We know that Easter is about God freeing us from our sin, God overcoming death, and God making all things new. And so this is love, love that forgives us and frees us, love that conquers the grave, and love that makes all things new. And so Today we're going to hit on that last one. What does it mean for, for God to make all things new? And why does that matter for us here and now? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have a Bible with you today, would you go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? I believe we're going to be in verses 51 through 57 to start. If you need a Bible this morning, please raise a hand. Uh, we'd love to bring you one. If you don't have one at home, you just keep it. Consider it a gift from Cornerstone Church. So let's look at... First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 51. Give me a moment to get there myself. How many of you enjoyed worship this morning? Amen. Amen. Do you know that five minutes in God's presence is better than the whole day anywhere else? Isn't it? Man, God's presence does something to us. I'm often reminded how in God's presence things come to life and how things become new. And so even as we look at these scriptures today and Paul teaches us about the resurrection and how it's, it's uh, not just a resurrection for Jesus, but it's also a resurrection for the cosmos, for all of heaven and all of earth, all of nature, and that includes you and I. And it's partly because of God's presence coming to live with us and change us. It's interesting that in the end, God... He doesn't take us to another place. He comes here and makes a new heaven and a new earth. And I believe that a big reason for that is that his presence is here, just resurrecting nature. So let's, uh, if you don't mind, let's stand together and just out of respect for God's word, um, let's read verses 51 through 57 together. This is Paul, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into mortal bodies. That word transformed, if you look up with me for just a second, a couple weeks back we talked about the transfiguration and how Jesus was transformed in front of his disciples. It's the same word, it's the same meaning. And they caught a glimpse of, of what he, Jesus was like in all his glory and I believe also what 
we will be like when we receive that, that new uh, immortal body. Continuing in verse 54, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your, your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that... For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think I gave that justice. He says, in my Bible, there's an exclamation point. He says, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just come before you this morning, and just as we think about your word for a few minutes here at the beginning of this week, let it, let it propel us into this into our work week, into this, all the various things we have going on, but let it hang with us. Lord, bring it to our remembrance. Holy Spirit, just implant your word in our hearts that when we leave here, we would be reminded that even today we can experience that new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. And may be seated. Thanks for reading with me, guys. You know, when our children were little, and I have four children, and so when they were little, you know, um, it seems like they all have a toy or a doll or a thingamajig that like they carry with them everywhere. Sometimes it's a blanket, right? I'm, gonna, I'm looking around. How many of you parents, like back when we were growing up, I was, I was born in 79, and so I grew up in the 80s. I don't remember having a thingamajig I carried everywhere, right? It was like my father was just like, you know, just suck it up and you don't need to carry that thing around with you, you know? But my kids, they got like a blanket, there's Mr. Wiggles, the elephant. There's a rabbit. How many of you parents, your kids have something like that? Or grandchildren? Grandchildren? I have a little, my son calls it a DD. I have no idea where that thing came from, but a DD. Okay. But they carry it around with them wherever they go. And they, they adore this thing, right? And then comes the fateful day that all parents dread when they lose that thing, right? They lose it. I remember my daughter walking through the mall and somehow she lost her stuffed rabbit. I, we looked and looked for it and there was tears and there was, you know, just regret. Why did I bring that thing with me? You know, it's like I should have left it at the fan, like you said, mom, you know, and, and all this stuff. And so we ordered a new rabbit, right? The other day, um, uh, Evelyn, my littlest daughter, she lost Mr. Wiggles, which is an elephant, about like that big. And so Jamie got on eBay right away Thank God for eBay and Amazon. She ordered a new Wiggles, right? But she didn't want that Wiggles. She didn't want the new Wiggles. She wanted the old Wiggles with the tail that was basically gone, you know? She, she liked that, you know? So for whatever reason, it's whether it's the color or the style or function thing, more often than not, they, they, she can't say why she wants old Mr. Wiggles. She just knows that she wants him, right? And the new Wiggles, guess where he's at right now? In the closet, you know, he's, he's shunned. He's shunned. If you believe in the Toy Story stuff, he's been in there for a long time by himself. Sad guy. I should put a friend in there for him. You know, that's like going to the attic, right? Going to the attic. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've seen Toy Story, right? Okay. I thought it was only me that watches all these kids' movies. But that's how we are when we look at this world. You know, we, if we're honest, we don't actually want some other world in some faraway place. We want this world, this life, just fixed, right? We want our loved ones back. 
but alive with this imperishable kind of life that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. We, we want our relationships. We don't want new relationships. We want these old ones, but without the pain or the hurt or the problems that, that are built into them. And so here we are, we're surrounded by things that are falling apart. We're in physics, you guys know I'm a physics teacher, we call that entropy. It's, it's uh, something we cannot escape right now. Okay, and things just have a natural tendency to fall apart. And even still, we don't want all new things. We want the old things just made new, if you follow me. Before we can turn and just really explore what Paul's talking about here in terms of the resurrection of the Bible body, I want you to think about the brokenness in our world. I mean, we see this brokenness. We see it in big things like the systems and the structures um, and our politics and all, just all sorts of big things that kind of move people in society around. But we also see it close up, deep inside our own hearts, if we're really honest. I mean, we would be ashamed to say some of the things that flash through our minds at times and just be like, man, where did that come from? It's built into us. It's inherent in our, our DNA now, since, since Adam and Eve's fall. And so we have this like infection. There's this like this selfishness, this greed, a pride, and a lust. And when left to ourselves, it's just the way we go. And our world has no vocabulary for this. They have no real way to explain it. And they actually seem a bit disillusioned by it. Like, shouldn't we be past this by now? I mean, look how advanced we are. Look at all the technology we have. Look at all the things we know about the body and the mind and social science and about nature and even faraway places like galaxies and whatnot. We should be past this by now. Just prior to World War I, that sentiment was floating around Europe. People were like, man, we, are, we got things rolling. We are on an upward march. Progress is coming. Things are great. And then all of a sudden they descend into the abyss of this destructive war. They descend in these atrocities. And then that follows up in World War II. And then not too long after that, there's Vietnam. And not too long after that, there's Persian Gulf. And then we, our own generation, my generation, we get to 9-11, and just prior to 9-11, man, it's like people were all very positive. The internet's expanding. We've got e-commerce and, and uh, this globalized reality is coming in and people are very excited and then bam. I remember where I was. I was a student teacher at the time at Muskegon High School, assisting an algebra teacher. And he sent me to the office to pick something up. And I remember looking on the TV and, and we're like, is that like right now? And they're like, yeah, that's right now. Aren't we past this is what a lot of people think. Why, why aren't we past that is the, the better question. And even though the world doesn't have a word for it, we do. As a church, we know that's called sin. That's evil. And it's a real presence in our, in our hearts and in our society. And so what we really want to know is what is God going to do about this ultimately? What is he going to do about this? Does he offer us all new things? Is that what Christian hope is really about? Is it that he's going to give us all new things as if he's going to take us somewhere else and just kind of leave this, this behind? No. God's going to make all things new. And so last week, we talked about Paul, the writer here in, in 1 Corinthians. He's one of the early church planners, and he, was, uh, he described this long list of witnesses that had seen Jesus. And, and he explained why a that Jesus was really and truly raised from the dead. Why is that important? And we walk through that and how, how God conquered death. His love was stronger than death. And so now we see Paul, he's con- just continuing in, talking about the resurrection and, 
and how this changed everything for us. And so he's talking about our hope here. Okay, look at verses 51 through 57 again with me. Let's just look at those again. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. And it will happen in, the, in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. In another place, he says, we'll be caught up together. Like they'll go first, those saints whose bodies are dead and buried and probably disintegrated by now, it, they will, it's an amazing thought when you think about it. He will literally pull their dust from all over the world. Think about the sailors buried at sea and how their bodies uh, uh, just have meshed in uh, with the, there's like a half mile at the bottom of the ocean, a half mile of like diatom carcasses. They're like algae and things like that, a half mile thick. And think about their, the sailors and the people buried at sea and how their dust and their bodies just scatter and float and move around the world. He is going to somehow pull every atom, every atom back and transform their bodies and resurrect them up and make them new. It's mind-blowing. And we will be changed in the blink of an eye, which is incredibly fast. We will be changed and we will raise up with them. He says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. This is our hope, and we'll say more about this in a minute. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled, that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at what Christian hope is, I've already alluded to it a little bit, I think it's helpful first for us to see what Christian hope is not and kind of address some, I don't know if, if I'd call them myths or just kind of just common things that are floating around um, that aren't necessarily true. The first thing is that Christian hope is not compensation. Okay, it's not compensation. It's not like we're waiting for God to make it up for us by giving us mansions or streets or gold or to transform our bodies. It's not like he's saying, you know, I'm really, you know, you guys really suffered down there. Here you go. Here's a mansion. You know, here you go. Here's some streets of gold. Here's this new body. No, something more powerful is going to happen. And it's not going to be like God's rewarding us for our troubles. God is going to transform our very bodies into bodies that do not perish or die. How many of you would be really happy for a body that didn't perish or die or suffer from sickness or illness? You know what? I'm, you know what I really want to know, Jesse? I want to know if our new bodies will have six packs. <laughs> That's what I want to know. I'm really, I'm really working on that, and I hate it. You know, I'm just kind of wondering about that. Okay, so it's not compensation, although a six-pack would be very nice. Christian hope is not explanation. It's not an explanation. Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians here that one day God will explain everything. Now, it's true, Paul even said earlier, that we now know in part and later we'll, we'll know in, in, in a fullness. But our hope is not grounded in, in the fact that, that God will somehow allow us to understand everything. I, I, I don't know how we can ever understand everything, especially God's omnipotence, his, his omnipresence. How can a creation comprehend its creator, right? 
So I'm not sure if we'll fully, fully, truly, like 100% understand, but Paul does say later on we'll have a more full understanding, but our hope is not grounded in that. It's grounded in the fact that one day all things will be made new, including our bodies. So Christian hope is not compensation, it's not an explanation, and it's not an evacuation. A lot of people uh, forget this because of the way we talk about heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place where we can find rest in the presence of God, but even heaven, for the early Christians, it wasn't the focus of their hope. Their hope was on the resurrection. It's uh, it's as uh, early Christian historian N.T. Wright has famously said, heaven is important, but it's not the end of the world. The end of the world is that God will make all things new. He will resurrect it. And so just think about this for a moment. Think about, you know, you have a, a child, and they're at school, and there's a bully picking on them, you know, and the, your child says, hey, you just wait for, for my mom and dad, because they're coming in carpool, you know, I see their car over there, It'll be, they'll be here in about 45 minutes, right? They're at the end of the carpool line, but you wait. When they get here, you are in trouble, right? And so when you pull up there, they tell you about this bully, and you say to them, you know, man... But that's a bummer. Man, I'm really sorry you're experiencing that, but uh, how about you get in the car? You know, let's go get some ice cream. I'll make it up for you. And now as, as much as any child, and even myself, would be down with some froyo or something, right? Um, that's not really going to solve the issue, right? It's, that's not, the ice cream isn't what they really want. They, they're wondering, hey, are you going to do something about this bully? And if we're we're uh, good parents like we are. You know, we'd get out of that car. They'd tell us about the bully. We'd grab that kid. And we'd put our knee in his back. Stuff his face in the mud. Um, I'm teasing. I, I, haven't actually, I haven't actually done that before, but I've wanted to. I've wanted to. No, I'm teasing. You know what I'm saying. That's, that's what we want. And this is exactly what Paul is getting at. Right? He talks about Jesus coming to reign and putting everything under his feet. It's like he's going to come one day. He's going to put death on its belly, put his knee in its back, and say, you're done. You're done. You're not going to hurt my children anymore. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 through 26. He says, after that, the end will come when he will turn the king kingdom, speaking of Jesus, turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and, at the, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Later on in Revelation, if you don't mind turning out of Corinthians for a minute, just keep your finger there because we'll come back. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. The Apostle John He received a vision of this later on that fills our hearts with hope. 21, 1 through 5. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven, and the old earth had disappeared. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. The sea was also gone. So the new earth doesn't have a sea. Can I just, from, just pause and give you a scientific perspective on this? this do, you, do you realize that one of the primary pers- purposes for the ocean is that it, it is enormous disinfectant? It is an enormous disinfectant. It is very true. All rivers run to the sea, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that gets put into the rivers. And so as it flows into the ocean, 
God created the ocean to be extremely salty along with a whole bunch of other chemicals. It's like a humongous, I don't know, right term. It, it sterilizes everything. It kills all the germs and all the nasty things that flow into it. And he's saying that there's going to come a point where you don't need it anymore. You don't need this enormous disinfectant anymore because he's going to, in the new heaven and the new earth, whatever he does, it, evidently there's not going to be all that pollution and all that stuff that needs to get cleaned up. And so John goes on and he says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his his people, God himself, will be with him. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. All these things are gone forever. Uh, and then the one sitting on the throne, verse five, said, look, I am making everything, what? New. He's not giving us all new things. He's making all things new. And so Jesus swallows up death and victory. He wipes away every tear. He makes the heavens and the earth new. And God himself will come down to dwell with us. You see, it's not about getting out of here and going somewhere else. Our hope as Christians is about God coming here and restoring and remaking the world and then filling it with his presence, which is what it was originally created to be. And so Christian hope is not compensation. It's not an explanation. It's not an evacuation. It's a new creation. The great end we're looking for is kind of like a really big Easter Sunday, right? When God will do for the heavens and the earth exactly what he did for Jesus, he's going to raise it up to a newness of life. It's like a resurrection for the cosmos. It's amazing. And even as a, a, a physicist, I, I can't hardly even comprehend it. But it, it, the strongest way that the New Testament describes it is it, they call it a, uh, the writers in the New Testament call it a new creation. And it's a perfect way to describe it. In fact, the early Christians, do you realize that the early Christians, this was such a prominent uh, theme in their lives that, that John's account says that Jesus' resurrection happened on the first day, except that at that time, Sunday wasn't the first day of the week. It was such a powerful image in their mind that Christians began to mark time differently and made Sunday the first day of the week because they looked at it as like when they came and they gathered on Sunday and they worshiped and read from the scriptures, they looked at that as a symbol or a type of, you know what, my old week, whatever happened, good or bad, is done, especially the bad. Right? Because if we dwell on the good, we become proudful. If we dwell on the bad, we become discouraged. And so they looked at Sunday as they gathered as a place to mark time and say, I am, and they were reminded that they were new creations and that the old was gone and that, you know what? It's a new week. Should the Lord tarry, I'm going to go through this week and it's a new start. It's a new start. And I think just as a side note, and this is preaching to the choir this morning because you're here, Right? But we often forget that. Christians, so many Christians, we forget the value in, in that, in the gathering and worshiping and hearing from the scriptures and making it a point to say, man, my old week is done. I'm starting a new week. The first thing, the morning of the first day of this week to come to worship God as if I'm setting my mind and my heart and just putting all that stuff behind me. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? That is the purpose for gathering together. And so the Christians, they saw that, and they saw that it was a, a, a type of Jesus' resurrection in their own life to where, man, this is a new start for me. And so I say to you today that this can be true for you. Today can be the first day of a new creation for you. Some, whatever might be broken in your life, whether it be a, a critical relationship or maybe your career or some form of uh, just something you're trying to communicate with and you're not getting through or they're not getting through to you, something is broken. Today, God can re- give you a new start, a fresh beginning. And I know it's easy for us to, we can look around in our lives or around in the community or just in the world at large and we can see evil and sin and, and, and still have those conversations like, why, why, sh- why aren't we past this, uh-huh. right? But the truth is, is that, you know what, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we take that first step into that new creation, into that resurrection life that Jesus died and rose again to give us. And so, we see that Easter doesn't just mean a new creation uh, one day for the world, although we tend to forget that. This resurrection for the cosmos, it, can, it is a new creation. It is a new start for us even today as we gather on the first day of this new week, first Sunday of May, right? Let it be a point in time that marks a new beginning for some aspect of your life. Paul wrote, last scripture, go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Last scripture and then we'll pray. How many of you are following me this morning? Amen. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Stop, go to 16. Go to 15. Go to 15. He died, Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We've stopped evaluating others. We've stopped judging people from a, from a human point of view. How differently we know Jesus now. And it implied how differently we know one another now, how differently we know ourselves. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who has put their faith in Christ, anyone who is modeling the way they interact with God and other people after Jesus' teaching has become a new person. In God's eyes, they're a new person. Some of you, you've got to stop evaluating yourselves from a human point of view, and you've got to start seeing yourselves as God sees you. You might not feel like a new person. You, you might look in the mirror. You might have those habits or those hang-ups and things that just make you like, what in the world is going on here? But when God looks at you, he sees a new person. And he sees who he wants to make you. And if you could just get a glimpse of who he wants to make you, if you could catch the vision, it will create this motivation inside of you. It, it just... Like, all of a sudden, you don't want to do those things no more. You don't want to interact the way you used to because you know God has put something inside of you and you see it. You see who he wants you to become. And so Paul says, you are a new person. The old life is gone. And what? A new life has begun. 
If you've expressed faith in Jesus, I want you to know your new life has begun. And today, this week, I want you to get on your knees. I want you to find some quiet time and ask God, give me a vision of this new life that you have for me, God. What does that literally mean in terms of my habits, in terms of my relationships, in terms of just where and what you want me to do? God, just speak to my heart and I know he will show it to you. I know he will show it to you because when you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. He promises that. And so get that vision. Get some alone time with the Lord this week and resurrection life will begin with you. You'll be amazed. You will look back a month, two months, three months. The end of this year, you will look back at your life and you will just be absolutely amazed. You'll be floored at how God has changed you. How many of you have that hope? How many of you have that hope? I have that hope. Stand with me this morning. Let's pray. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Christian hope is not compensation, not an explanation, not an evacuation. It's a new creation. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for that work that you are doing in our lives, the work you have already done. Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know your love, anybody who who hasn't just restored that relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you begin to work on their heart and lead them into that place where they are just soft before you, Lord, where they uh, can just work it out and move forward and experience that resurrection life that, that uh, that you died and rose again to give us. We thank you for that. We thank you for our hope that you're going to make all things new, God, and that you're starting that right now with us. And so on the first day, the first Sunday of this new month, we set our minds right. We set our minds on you and we pray, let us look back one month from now and just be amazed even at the progress and the work that you've done in our relationships and our finances in our careers in this congregation and, and, and through us in this community. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for that right now. I pray a blessing upon each person here. I pray you would go with them, that you would give them a closer walk with you, that they would hear your voice whispering behind them, especially if they, they have a major decision in front of them. God, that you would begin to speak to them. Lord, if we're the, those who need hope, Lord, those who are facing opposition or just, oh, just questions, I pray that you would go before them and lead them in victory this week. I thank you for that. Go with us now in this beautiful afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you. Have a tremendous week. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.